Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food and this week it's about Italy through its stories of the pasta grannies. I mean, we always sort of say we're in a rush to get the 90-year-olds and more, you know. I mean, is it, we don't like to sort of say, well, you know, they're not going to be on the planet for much longer, but that is true. Um, so whenever we hear of the 100-year-old in Abruzzo, we think, oh, we'll get in the car now, you know. Vicky Benison won a James Beard Award in 2020 for her first Pasta Granny's book, based on the super homey YouTube series which has won the hearts of millions all over the world. Her work in international development in places like Russia, South Africa and Turkmenistan has given her an anthropological lens through which to look at the role of the nonna, which is what I found so fascinating. I asked her why she thinks it's hit the spot for so many viewers and readers. Well, I always say that people come for the pasta and stay for the grannies. And uh, the reason the book is called Comfort Cooking is because um, through lockdown and all the pandemic and, and stuff, is people find great comfort in, in watching these ladies who've seen it all before, um, you know, have survived hard times and are still cheery and, um, you know, sustaining their families. And I think people found great comfort. And actually, I, I don't think, I know people wrote regularly to me and said how um, it's helped them. I even get people stopping me in the street to say how it's helped them. <laughs> so, I mean, I have to be honest, it's not what I set out to do. Um, you know, it was just simply to, you know, record these recipes, but it's evolved into something else. And we'll talk a little bit about why you wanted to do it in the first place. But, I mean, I also think it's about, it's because it's the story of Italy, which is an, an interesting country because its poverty has been its signifier for such a long time and I think that these grannies are an icon of resilience yes. which I think is very prescient now. Yes yes I agree entirely They're, they are resilient Um, you know some people say oh they're cute yes they're cute but actually uh, they're survivors. Um, they are yeah. survivors and they tell a story of hardship. Um, mm. They're probably born in about the sort of 1930s and 40s, most yes. of them, aren't they? Yeah, some in the 20s. <laughs> so we're trying to get hold of them. <laughs> Olivia, my granny finder, has just written in to say, Ah, oh, I found a hundred, a hundred year old. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fantastic. It's like, yes. Got to get there. <laughs> but, I mean, a lot of these these women are not even literate, or they probably are now. But they, no. you know, for most of their life, they would have been suffering great hardship. A lot of them, yep. they wouldn't have necessarily been educated. I mean, take us through some of the stories that they have lived through. Yeah, so it's kind of standard that most of them left at the age of ten, left education at um, ten, and uh, maybe one child. Um, uh, would stay on if they were clever enough, but everybody else was needed in the fields. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as a mother, your prime job was to produce lots of children uh, who could then go to work. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, and, you know, pasta making had the, you know, the pink label on it is what the women were supposed to do. Um, and uh, they were told that they wouldn't get a decent husband unless they could make pasta properly. Um, and, you know, that's only, you know, it's in the last 40 years that that ceased to be the case. And a lot of them would have cooked for their families as well, because, of course, what came with hardship and poverty was illness and death. Uh, the girls were put to work, you know, well, they were encouraged, they, you, know, uh, you know, from pretty much the age of about three or four onwards. And then some of them were unfortunate enough to actually be making pasta properly from about the age of five. We say, oh, pasta making is too difficult. Actually, no, that's not the case. It's very easy. <laughs> 
mean, it's a, it's a very interesting history, isn't it? I mean, particularly looking at what has happened in the last 30, 40 years mm, as mm. women have left the home and gone into the cities, they've been working, and a lot of these skills yeah. are really declining now. So we're also watching something that's, that's, that's dying yeah. off in front of our eyes almost. Tell us what the grannies think of those women. may not be necessarily talking about it in mm. the actual YouTube programmes, but they must talk to you. You must ask them. What do they think about it? Oh, I think they there is no um, romance in poverty. And so when they see their, their daughters going off to university or working outside the home, they're, they're absolutely fine with it. Um, you know, there, there may be a shrug of the shoulders of, oh, you know, pasta isn't made in the home anymore. Um, but uh, what's interesting is that, is that it's skipped generation, is that the, their grandchildren and great-grandchildren are rediscovering those skills. Uh, they won't have the same muscle memory um, because they're choosing to do it at a weekend when they can get the time. Um, but it definitely there's a kind of a revival of interest because younger people, men and women, are realizing that you can do both. You can have a, a you know work outside the home and also um, cook from scratch in the home. And I think also yeah. it's not just Italy. It's it's a, this is a, a thing all over the world, whether it's Mexican or Thai or Turkish food. You know, there's that, those skills where you didn't have the mechanization um, and you had to do this kind of cooking um it's it's all disappearing so everybody get their iphones out <laughs> so. it's, it's interesting who tells their stories and you do let them tell their yeah. stories it's kind of a bare bones telly isn't yes it? it is that was quite deliberate for you, for you wasn't it yes um so i'm happiest behind the camera i mean i you know i do occasionally get out in front of it um but what i really wanted to do was place the women's center stage um, I feel that uh, it's a, a demographic that's kind of overlooked almost. They're so shy and retiring and uh, happy to let other people take the limelight. And I wanted to sort of say, no, these women have experience that we should all be listening to. Um, and, and it happens to be only Italian women. But uh, again, you know, that, that could apply to other, other cultures and stuff. So it is Italian women. Um, and I think it's wonderful. I love listening to them. Um, great joy and uh, humour um, everywhere. <laughs> well, absolutely. And a lot of other people do too. Yes. What, how many subscribers have you got now? Across all the social media channels, two and a half million. Um, and I'm, I know, I know. I mean, I, I can remember when I had 63 on YouTube. You know, and one of them was my mum. You know, so, um, no, it is astonishing because everybody is always looking for authenticity. It's the holy grail, yes. and here you have yeah. it in droves. Yes. I mean, how many pasta grannies can you find, and how many more are there? How much more of this work can you do? Well, I'm going to keep on going. Um, there are always more stories to be told. I mean, we always sort of say we're in a rush to get the 90-year-olds and more, you know. I mean, is it, we don't like to sort of say, well, you know, they're not going to be on the planet for much longer, but that is true. Um, yeah. So whenever we hear of the 100-year-old in Abruzzo, we think, oh, we'll get in the car now, you know. I mean, they're, they're um, guardians of, of yes, very important yes. history. I mean, one of the, the videos you made back in 2016, uh, it was showing a couple of grannies making incredibly rare pastas from such sardinia yeah served at weddings um and i think it went to three hundred thousand 
people who subscribed then. It went viral. Yes, that was one of the first ones that went viral, uh, the Sue Philandeo one, which is um, uh, it's a kind of... Well, you can see why the pasta is growing, um, sort of dying out, because it's a complete pain to make takes days and then you kind of use it like pot noodles but it was made by <laughs> only good. three women in the region so it's incredibly right. rare yeah. and, that, and f- yeah. the, the fact that so many people responded to that i think that's really extraordinary people know in that yeah. moment that this is really quite extraordinary and they press the yes. subscribe button yes yeah the, the, the subscriptions kind of go up in lurches isn't uh, you know quite often you know, suddenly something will take off and quite often it is something from sardinia which has the most extraordinary um pastas uh, there are several towns which have uh, who, uh, that is the only place this particular pasta is made for example most recently it was andarinos which is um you know it's this really complicated fusilli type shape um so, you know, you go to another village and they don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's, an, it's a real um, antidote, isn't it, to the sort of the Tuscanopia, the fairy tale version of Italy, you know, that we used to see yes. so much on television, you know, that sort of, you know, the 1950s romantic music and, the, you know, the yeah. smoke coming out of the chimneys and then, you know, going up the Amalfi Coast and then finding this little shed somewhere where a little old, granny might still be making i mean it's you know it's not like that at all we go into a granny's house and she's immediately making the pasta why did you choose to do it that way um i wanted them in their home environment because it's more relaxing for them um you know even sometimes they want to be in the you know the daughter says no your your kitchen isn't smart enough you know you're coming to mine um and then you can sort of immediately see the loss in confidence because they don't know where the knife is and and that kind of thing so we really like to have them in their home environment uh we're not interested in chefs if you like i mean occasionally we'll find an agriturismo where there's you know they'll use a sort of professional kitchen but um it's the home environment which is you know you kind of get little snippets it's like seeing something through a keyhole you'll see the implements and how old you know the grinder is and and that kind of thing that that you don't get if you put them in a studio for example your background vicky is in international development tell us a little bit about how you got here via international development Mm. It is about supporting people and giving them the space, really, to reflect on what it is that they're planning around small business development. The support institutions like Chambers of Commerce, like uh, Departments for Economic Development, and how they go about supporting small businesses. You know, I I worked in South Africa after the end of uh, apartheid. Um, So, you you know, they needed support in with their what they call a transitional economy. Um, so they would then, you know, call upon the British government or the EU to, to implement projects. And, you know, and all the other European companies, they all have pledges to help other countries. Um, so it's the sort of non-glamorous bit of aid. For example, Comic Relief is what I call the cavalry, and they go in when there's emergencies. And the sort of work I did was when everybody's left and you're kind of left clearing, how do you clear up the mud? How do you build buildings? Yeah, you know, so you're kind of more upstream and away from 
trauma and drama. You're just there sort of planning and organising and, and that kind of thing. So that's what I used to do. Food was always there. I mean, no matter what my job was, um, I was writing, um, you know, letters to people saying, oh, this is what I ate today. <laughs> you know, or, you know, I went and discovered this market today, wherever I was in the world, whether it was Kazakhstan or Malaysia or, or yeah. wherever. So, um, and... Um, and I, you know, always writing about it, but not in a serious way. And then it became more serious. Um, and and then finally, with the Jose Pizarro book, you know, that sort of was taking it seriously and doing it more as a, you know, I am now a food yeah. writer. Um, and then, but in fact, the anthropology side of it is something that interests me yeah. more. It's the stories that are told that I get really excited yeah, about. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I don't see yeah. how you can actually yeah. differentiate between the two. Um, I mean, how can you? you know. <laughs> it's true. Well, well yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm not. I'm not that kind of food styly thing of inventing a new recipe. I'm not. I, mean, I think nah, no, that's not me. It's someone else. But I'm, I'm out in the field talking to people. <laughs> um, let's start to go through some of the food moments. Um, yes. Mm. Let's talk about Pina and her gnocchi yes. di castagne con pesto di noce. Is that right? You see, that's right, yeah. Mm. You can tell I've never learned yes. Italian, can't you? <laughs> so Pina uh, lives in the mountains behind Geneva, and uh, she used to uh, run the local uh, little shop up in this village. You know, you kind of go out with these really, really tiny sort of practically um, verticals roads up into the mountains, and, you know, you can only go one way, and you really hope you don't meet someone else coming down because how on earth are you going to reverse it's one of those sort of scary villages in the middle of nowhere surrounded by chestnut forests um beautiful views i mean it's you you think wow uh, it's extraordinary and there she lives it's in a village that doesn't actually have any cars um you have to kind of either walk or use a little ape um to get around the village it's all cobbled stones um uh, it's absolutely magic and she's practically the only person left still living in this village you get summer visitors and that kind of thing she sort of uses the the ingredients that she has that she's either growing in her veg garden or um is growing wild you know the foraging and and the 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 chestnuts that are there you know um so this chestnut uh, gnocchi is because she's cut her flour, her wheat flour, with chestnut flour because, A, chestnut flour is cheaper um, and it's more available because it's on her doorstep, whereas wheat flour has to be carted up from the valley floor and bought. Um, so, so that's how that mixture of, of flours that is put into the potato gnocchi dough arrived. Um, and, then, and then she's... She used to carry the sort of goods for her store for the last kilometre on her back. The roads were only built in the last 60 years or something. So and she's a 91-year-old. So, I mean, she's extraordinary. And she's kind of this sort of pioneering spirit. Um, and she has this beautiful kitchen, which is kind of painted a copper sulfate blue. And the stove is in the centre of the room. Um, and it's used for both heating and for cooking. And, you know, you just think... Wow, I could spend all day here just, just sort of soaking up the authenticity and, and, and stuff like that. And she has a, 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 um, a baking oven out the back and she kind of cooks bread for the entire village once a year because she used to do it regularly. When we as a team kind of walk into that kind of situation, we're kind of like 
this is like El Dorado in terms of storytelling. And, you know, we know that whatever she's going to say is going to be extraordinary. And she doesn't think anything of it, of course. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's like, why are you here again? She said when we went, <laughs> when we went back to sort of film, uh, take photographs of her. It's like, can't you make your own gnocchi? Is this... Is this <laughs> so even though you've, you've talked to her and you've filmed her before, she still doesn't really get what you're trying to capture. No, it's beyond her her worldview that um, people have lost those skills because they're you know they're life skills. They're important. And why would you lose them? Well, I mean, she's asking a very good question at a time of, you know, cost of living crisis yeah. and climate crisis. Yes. Um, yes. Do the grannies actually put that, that within that context? Do they talk about how important it is to be resilient and have those skills? I don't think they would catch in that kind of way because they've, they've never kind of left that, that mindset. They've always been in it. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, that's why I think they actually survived the pandemic much better than everybody else did because they, they've of sort of got that mindset of resilience and just to keep going. Yeah. Um, so there a lot of them, I mean, all of them sailed through it. Yeah. No, of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. Um, um, second food moment, Sperandina's lasagna mm. con asparagi. How did you choose these four for a start? Did you just kind of, did, why did these four particularly resonate with you? Well, partly I wanted a selection of recipes they're kind of wide ranging I suppose Um, and also something that I could remember (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's like that I mean they're all lovely and I it was all about actually sort of the simplicity of it otherwise if I'm trying to explain to you actually how you pleat a Cula Journeys type pasta I'm never going to do that on a a podcast so that was (laughs) slightly yeah (laughs) so that was sort of in my thinking as well um (laughs) So she actually um, lives about an hour away from me. Um, so she's kind of further south towards the Sibilini Mountains, ah. which are part of the Apennine Range. Mm. And uh, so she, um, you know, in this part of the world, uh, wild asparagus is everywhere in April, May. You'll get these huge bunches being sold in stalls at the roadside and, and stuff like that. And um, so it's easy to make a lasagna from them. I mean, you know, you can either freeze the, uh, the asparagus and make it later or you just gather it up and cook them and turn it into this, this lasagna. And, and it's not often that you get vegetarian lasagnas um, in Italy. There are loads of different varieties, but mm. I like this one. And uh, if asparagus is not available or it's a bit expensive or, what a, or you're getting large numbers, you can actually sort of puree peas and put in with the asparagus. And... I've got to say, this one is actually on the family rotation. Everybody loves this lasagna. <laughs> That's why. And so she, she actually invites her family. Her family is still in the same village. She has about 10 to lunch, 10 people to lunch every day, and she makes pasta for them every day. Yeah. Incredible. And of course, that's lentil yeah. area, isn't it? That and where the earthquake Yes. Were. Yes. I did a, yes. Um, a, a piece for the Delicious podcast about the earthquakes there and their impact on the lentil farmers uh, because there were great boulders in the road. And I had this extraordinary interview uh, in Italian with a friend of mine who was the translator who had yeah. also been through that earthquake or those earthquakes. Uh, um, yes. Back in 2017, uh, I think it was, wasn't it? It's been six years and I was there for all four oh of them. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I mean, how I mean, was that terrifying? Horrifying. I mean, they're so noisy. And um, that's what you don't really expect. It's like um, being right next door to a sort of 
fast train coming through a tunnel it's, it's, and then all the movement that goes with it. Yeah. Um, completely terrifying. But how was mm. Ferendina? Did you talk to her about the earthquakes? N- no. I mean, but everybody kind of shrugs and says, yes, well, we'll be living in an earthquake area. <laughs> so, you know, you'll have a, night, a few weeks outside living in the car and then, and then you know, go back indoors again. But um, it was more to do with um, you know, growing her own asparagus. She's got her own chickens, so of course they kind of go into the pass into the dough. And so she's down in the valley. You know, that's where it's not up in the mountains where the lentils are. Yeah, so she's sort of slightly yeah. about sort of thirty-five minutes drive from where they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But so. and it's a hard, hard area around there. I mean, it's very beautiful. Yeah. But it's just yes. lots of winding roads, and you know, you don't want to forget some your milk if you if you're not actually no. keeping a, a goat or a no. or a cow. Are you, um, no. Carla uh, and her risotto. This is your third yes. moment. Well, in my family, I'm actually known as the risotto maker rather than the pasta maker. It's, it's um, I love a risotto. And I was very pleased to uh, introduce some to this book. Carla um, and her family um, have a farm in uh, near the Veneto, in the Veneto, um, and unusually also um, grow carnaroli, which is more, you know, it's in a different area. That's up in Piemonte and Lombardy and... Um, and places and this this they still grow it anyway because they think it's actually better suited to um uh sea area they're right next door to the sea um and i love this recipe because it's easy <laughs> i mean so for me it's like you know, there's so many rules that have grown up around risotto and yes you have to pay attention and it and it bears and it you know it's a it's a good thing to pay attention to those rules do have a place but it stops people from making risotto and this one is a great way into uh, making risotto because it's a kind of a more of a splish splosh, you know, bung it all in yeah. and it'll all be fine yeah. kind of risotto. <laughs> um, so you, what you do is actually make yourself a chicken casserole. And I think key is the, for the flavoring is actually the, the rosemary that goes into it. Um, and then you kind of fish out your meat, um, keep it, put it to one side and then just bung in um, some carnaroli rice and uh, cook it up, add a bit more wine or water, whatever you've got to hand, make the risotto and return the, the, the um, chicken meat, take it off the bone. Et voila, that's it. <laughs> it isn't that it's difficult. It is a, often very slow. It's often very yeah. laborious, but it's never difficult. And that's the whole point no. of it, isn't it? Yeah, and also I think if people use arborio rice, that's slightly more temperamental. You do it kind of it goes a bit mushy if you you're if you're on the phone to someone and you're not paying attention, then then it you know will go stodgy. Whereas with carnaroli, you'll never go wrong. Fenny, pizza mm. di scarola. Oh, I love Fenny, <laughs> and. So I just love the fact that she is now 97, I think. And she has this tremendous vibrancy and wants to look gorgeous. So she, um, every time we meet her, we've now met her about three times, uh, she, she, and with her help of her carer these days, she gets, she gets her nails done, she gets her hair done, she gets her, her jewellery, um, and then she gets dressed up for the occasion. And it's like, you are fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, she she made us this pie which you can, basically it's a pizza it's a pie which you fry you don't put it in the oven because ovens are too expensive to turn on and when we went to 
um, take photographs of her. We were staying on one island, she's on Procida, and we were staying on Ischia, and, she, and we were going to take the ferry back. And she went, no, no, I'm, you're going to take a taxi, you're going to take a boat. And she marched out to, the, to the, a startled seaman and said, um, these people need to get back to, to Ischia. And so we found ourselves on a boat. But she, she's kind of just, it wasn't imperious. It was just like, oh, I know everybody and this young man is going to help you. Fantastic, so Italian. <laughs> yes, very. <laughs> it's, it's just wonderful. So there we were in a sort of Bond movie, kind of going wow. speeding across the way. <laughs> I could see it. I can see it. One of the things I absolutely love is that Disney Pixar asked you to support the global launch of Luca. Yes. The story of friendship and shared love of pasta. One of my favourite. Oh, isn't it a gorgeous movie? Absolutely perfect, Mm. isn't it? Yeah, wonderful. How great is that? What did you feel when you got that email come through? (laughs) You kind of danced around the flat going, woo! (laughs) I bet. And it's like, oh my, you know, these emails kind of turn up. You, you go, am I reading that right? Is that, is that, is this spam or something? Um, what did it mean in real, in real terms? Did you have to go and do something? Uh, what it meant was working with their marketing departments um, and making sure that, you know, we understood each other and what we could deliver and, and then getting our grannies to kind of be involved. And they were very game to do it, you know, because this was completely new. I mean, they knew of Disney because of their great grandchildren, but they, you know, didn't watch it themselves or anything. So, you know, and some some kind of got really into it and were singing along and then others were kind of absolutely silent. <laughs> I bet Fenny had all her rings on. Yes, yes, exactly. It was just wonderful. And and so they were such good sports um, uh, for that. So we we had such fun um, doing it. And, of course, it's a wonderful film to support. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, that must make it really real when they're great-grandchildren. Nana, you're amazing. Yeah, and I think that brings it home to the kids uh, is, is, you know, suddenly, you know, their granny's associated with Disney. Let's hope it gets them making pasta. You know, what you've enabled these women to do is tell their own stories of a particular history of food. What else can the pasta grannies do to encourage the Italian food culture to keep going against modernisation, isn't it? Uh, It's changing. I mean, we're actually going to see if we can get a documentary series up and going. Um, That's over the next six months. On telly. If Netflix is listening, <laughs> you know, I'll but, tag but, them. Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> that'll do it. Um, you know, actually, I have, I'm harboring ambitions to actually have a Pasta Granny's Foundation because you know it's. I think this is the sort of thing that everybody should be doing. Food is always evolving. Um, you can't sort of stop what people are doing, what comes naturally, but you can keep a record so people can go back to it or feel inspired by it or make it their own in the, in some way. We don't know what that is, but. So the, the principles of cooking from scratch, I think, are the most important ones. It doesn't have to be pasta. It's just like start from the beginning. Start with ingredients which are great. Um, you know, honour your seniors' stories about how to be resilient and, and that kind of thing and make the most of what you've got. Um, all those stories need telling. Thanks for listening. You can read the transcripts at jillysmith.com where you can also sign up to my newsletter and you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at foodjillysmith. That's where you can also keep up with my adventures in cookery with Leith's online. Check the show notes and on Instagram for full details of how to get cooking the books discounts on Leith's cookery courses. And I'll see you next week.